There's a great disturbance in my soul and in my heart, and I want to share it with you because it follows on in our last study as we gathered in this place to look at the um, expression of the Lord Jesus as he was teaching his disciples to pray. The disciples went to Jesus, in, uh, and in chapter 6 of Matthew, we discover they said, teach us how to pray. And Jesus said, when you pray, pray, our dearest Papa, who is living in heaven, holy and reverenced be your name. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth just in the same way that it's being done up in heaven. Give us this day all that we need to eat and deliver us from temptations. Deliver us from all evil. And I believe that we're living in a day where we need to re-understand some of the implications of what Jesus was saying when he said, when you pray, learn to pray, deliver us from evil. Now, we're living in a world, there is no question of this, that is full of evil. And in our last study, we discovered the evil that is from within. In this study, I want us to look at the evil that is without, coming from the outside and oppressing us. The people of God. At this point, I'm not prepared to make the distinction by saying the population of this or any country. I am simply saying the people of God have a greater understanding than the people that are not alive unto God. Now that is to say, there are, everybody recognizes one way or another that there is God. There is a God that they worship this God somehow. There is a sort of careless spirit in the, in the mind of man that he reaches up and somehow worships God because he can't understand the, the unseen God, because he can't comprehend the logic of the God that made the heavens and the earth and all that moves and lives in the earth and in the heavens because he somehow can't stretch his mind to that, he brings God down to his own size and his own ability to comprehend. So he builds himself a piece of stone and worships it. Or he carves a piece of wood and worships that. Or if he wants to be a little more divine, he maybe worships the sun or the moon or the stars or the funny little creatures that creepy crawly around the earth. Man recognizes there is the great spirit the God. If he didn't, the atheist wouldn't use the word of God, the name God, in vain. He recognizes God. Or else the agnostic would not accuse God of so many things, such as the act of God in an earthquake, in a storm, in a cyclone, and so on and on. So we must understand that there is a tremendous amount of evil and we must understand that the person that is believing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that Jesus Christ, as the Son of God, became the propitiation. In other words, he became the sacrifice on our behalf so that we would not have to bear the penalty of sin. If we're believing that 
And if we're believing that Jesus Christ is our own personal Savior, that is, we have received him as our Savior. We have gone through the conscious act of saying, Lord, I have sin. Lord, I cannot save myself from sin. But Jesus died to wash me from sin. I receive that fact as the gift of God. Those people then have the Holy Spirit dwelling in them. And if they lack wisdom at any time, for the rest of their lives, they have but to ask God, and he says, I will give you wisdom. Now, because of this gift of God, salvation first, wisdom second, because of the power of the Spirit of God to cause us to live holy, pure lives, we need to understand that the evil outside of us is a threat. It's like a cloud. And we need to understand how God deals with it through us. For instance, turn in your Bibles, please, to the 17th chapter of John's Gospel and listen to the Lord Jesus in verse 15. I have to hurry and tell you this as you turn to that scripture, that Jesus is in the midst of a prayer, and it is the Lord's Prayer, not as the Lord's Prayer that we recite in church, but this is the prayer of the Lord Jesus. The prayer that we recite in church was one that he gave to the disciples. And he said, if you're a disciple, this is how you pray. When you're privately alone with God, not necessarily in the congregation. Strange how we've managed to change that. But in the 15th verse of the 17th chapter of John's gospel, the Lord Jesus is sort of in full song in his prayer. And he says in this verse 15, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. So Jesus, at the beginning of his ministry with his disciples, says, when you pray, learn to pray, deliver us from evil. When he's praying for his disciples, and when he's praying for those of us who would follow the disciples and be Christians, following Jesus and his wondrous testimony, he said, I pray that thou wilt keep them from evil. In other words, he took his own prayer as his own teaching as the instruction for his own praying. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we must understand the importance of evil. Is it not all around us? We must understand that we're not fighting against flesh and blood. We're fighting principalities and powers. And when the car is wrecked, but we are miraculously saved, we must understand that Satan meant it to our hurt, but God turned it to our good. We must be understanding that when some catastrophe hits our family and we go into a great spiral and don't know how to somehow revolve the problems in our lives and we get into a great fit of depression, it is Satan who is deliberately trying to hurt and it is God, if we'll only hang on to God, who will turn it to his good. Now we must understand this. We must understand that behind the things, the accusations that come to the ministry, behind the accusations that surround the ministry of the Word of God, behind all of that is no one less than Satan. Now understand it. I know the rules. I know the laws. I know what's going on in the world. I know we break those laws. I know we disobey those rules. I am aware of that. But who made the rules and who made the laws? Man hasn't got the ability to be that insidious. So let's look 
and see what God would say. You see, the Lord Jesus is, a, is constantly teaching us many things. In Psalm 39, we are told of the scripture there in verse 4 that we, may, that we need to know how frail I am. And the prayer of the psalmist is simply this, that I may know how frail I am. Now, that's contrary to teaching today. We teach people that we're really something. Ladies and gentlemen, we are no more than what God has created within us. And if we are lost and without hope, if we're living with sin and ignoring the grace of God, we are condemned already. Hence, the great agitation in the hearts and minds of men and women in our generation, that in itself creates evil. Ladies and gentlemen, we go out and we seek to change the world. We seek to clean it up. We seek that we might be able to walk in orderly numbers in the mountains and by the lakes. We seek that we might somehow regulate everything that is going on in this world. Ladies and gentlemen, the world is condemned. You may be a Christian and a great ecologist. And there is no criticism of ecology here. It's just simply the more we try to preserve a condemned thing, the more time we will spend wasted and not in prayer and not in the word of God and not seeking and chasing with the evangel of God. The evangel is simply the word presented to men and women in our day. Oh, that I may know how frail I am. I cannot turn the calendar back. I cannot stop the world and get off. I cannot change the condemnation of God upon this world. If the world will not repent, if the world will not turn, if the world will not turn to God, if the world will go on polluting its rivers and polluting its oceans and polluting its land, we must understand it does so in a frenzy of having been condemned. Now that's a tremendous out-to-one-side statement. But it's a fact. I want to just lay in front of you the enormity of why we are so surrounded by evil. If we get caught up in silly tangents, we will be involved in the world system and we cannot win. We are like little children. We may stand as men and women in this church. We may be great leaders in the church, but we become tiny little misunderstanding and misunderstood children when we start to grapple with the world. You know why? We have been changed into the likeness of Jesus. Was Jesus fighting when they were to crucify him? Was Jesus antagonistic when they were critical to him? Was Jesus upset because the world could not receive him? with open arms, proclaim him. Our Lord Jesus simply kept his mouth shut. Our Lord Jesus did not condemn. Our Lord Jesus simply made statements of fact. Let's look at some of those facts. Turn with me, please, in your Bible. And you must read for yourself from verses 3 to 23. But the 13th chapter of Matthew. The 13th chapter of Matthew. Look at verse 15 with me, please. For we discover in this glorious little 13th chapter these words. This people's heart is waxed gross. Their ears are dull of hearing. Their eyes they have closed. 
lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and should understand with their heart and should be converted and I should heal them. Listen to this tremendous statement. Now let's see the context from which it comes. The Lord Jesus is teaching and we only have time for three little areas. But he is teaching about evil. Look at this terrific evil that he speaks of. First of all, says Jesus, you must understand the evil that comes from the outside. And he calls it the wayside seed. The wayside seed. Look at verse 19. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which receives seed by the wayside. It is very possible you have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ many times over. It is very possible that you have received it, but somehow you were the sort of person that stood by and listened at a little distance and said, at a more convenient time, I will receive what God is saying to me. What happens in this case invariably is this. The person that acts in this manner to bring the wayside seed person into focus, they are the sort of people that don't really understand. That is, they don't understand that Jesus Christ died for their sins, that he cleansed them from their sins, that by believing on him they can be born again. They don't really understand. They're worked up because the preacher got to them, because the atmosphere in the meeting seemed to close in upon them. Because in the singing and the surging of the songs, there was an emotional thing inside them, and people went forward, and they go forward, and they think they understand. Now, this happens, you see. And very often, not all the time, not all the time, but very often these people lack understanding. And because they lack the understanding, that is, they don't get into the Word of God. They don't start to learn what Jesus said about this and that. They don't start learning how God would have them conduct their business, conduct their homes. And they sometimes even reject such teaching. These people have a real difficulty. Do you know what they usually fall into? Moral impurity. Just look. You'll see it. Oh, Jesus taught of another evil. He said there is a second evil in verses 20 through 21. He speaks of them. And he, he speaks of this evil. And he says it's the stony place evil. That is when the seed, the word of God, is scattered, broadcast into the stony places. Why? It's there and it starts to spring up and it starts to grow and it starts to look quite good. But because it's in a stony place, there aren't many roots creeping out and grasping hold so that it can feed and holds tight and the wind and the sun scorches it and it dies. How shall we liken this? Well, says Jesus, you must understand that some people don't want to learn about God. They want the experience, that is, they want to be in church. They want the righteousness. They want the upstandingness. They want to be sort of recognized as Christian. But these people, unfortunately, very often have no root. That is, and the real problem is in their hearts, they have bitterness. And when persecution and, and when tribulation come, when concerns and problems turn up, they find themselves 
shriveling. They can't stand the heat. Because evil has come upon them from the outside and they simply cannot stand the heat. Jesus said there is a third evil. And this evil is when the, when the seed is cast into the hearts of men and women. This third evil, why the seed falls amongst the thorns. And as it settles down in amongst the thorns, it takes up root. But the thorns grow around it. And the thorns choke it. The thorns actually put a strangle grip. And they strangle the seed until it is absolutely choked. And Jesus spelled this out. He said... People have problems with their temporal value systems, that is, with the things that they want to possess. And he calls it the deceitfulness of riches. You can read it for yourself in verse 22. The care of this world, the cares, the problems of this world, having to find enough food for the children, having to find enough furniture to look and seem sort of opulent, having to buy another house, having to get things together, having to make a collection of this, that, or the other, and we find that our growth is strangled. We are throttled. We are choked off. You know why? The seed, the word of God that you heard in church, that you responded to somehow, it just didn't fall in the right place. Well, it looks pretty hopeless, you might say. Well, it doesn't, it doesn't. You see, when we are choked, we become very unfruitful. When we are choked by this world and all its problems and all its cares and the domestic and business problems of our lives, this evil that comes in and crowds into our families and chokes us is because, again, we don't get into the Word of God and know how to deal with it. In order to deal with it, in fact, you have to know what the system is. And the system that is controlling us the system that is outside and controlling us with its evil. So let's look at that. Cast your eyes further on into, the, into this 13th chapter of Matthew's Gospel until you come to the verses 37 through 43. And understand what the Lord Jesus here is teaching. In these verses from 37 to 43, he said... Jesus answered and said unto them, He that soweth the good seed is the Son of Man. Now there are three things Jesus said you must understand. First of all, you must understand the true setup. Verse 38 tells us the field that he was speaking of represents the whole world. He says the whole world is scattered with seed. The whole world. And you must understand the setup as God sees it and presents it through the Son of God, Jesus the Christ. The setup is simply this the world is the field. And then the seed, why they are the children of God, and they're scattered amongst the world. And then you must understand, says Jesus, that this setup, when it's understood in its true way, the weeds, the tears, the thorns, the thistles, the wretched things that choke. Why, that represents the children of Satan. Oh. Now, if it represents the children of Satan, I must understand that there is the world in which I live, and there is the world in which the children of Satan live, and we're all in this field together. 
then surely God in his omnipotence could somehow zap all the children of Satan and leave the children of God to grow and develop into strong plants. Didn't Jesus say, I am the true vine, ye are the branches. Can't we grow strong? Why is it? Well, we go on and we see the whole explanation gradually. We must understand that there is the work of this setup. And the work of this setup is given to the enemy. But notice how Jesus spells it out in verse 39, I think it is. He spells it out. The enemy sowed, who sowed these, these tares, who sowed these thorns, is the devil. Look at the simple statement of verse 39. The person that is attacking the children of God is the devil. That's who is creating the problems against the children of God. That's who is seducing. That's who is corrupting. Ah. Well, now, if we understand the true setup, that the devil scatters in the world all the thorns and weeds he possibly can, then maybe we can come to some answers. Well, wait. First, we must understand the method of the setup. If we understand the true setup and the work of the setup, let's see the method of the true setup, of this setup that Jesus Christ reveals to us. The enemy is the devil. His children are forever trying to present solutions to the world, and they cannot reach those solutions. They have no solutions. There are no solutions that the devil can produce. He, can't, he, couldn't produce. he couldn't produce a solution to his problem before God created the world. He couldn't produce a solution for, the, for mankind before Jesus died. He couldn't produce a solution now if he tried. He is the father of lies. He is the father of deceit. He is the father of confusion. So now how could he possibly, being all of that, how could he possibly gender a solution? We have to go somewhere else for the solution. We have to understand. Now turn the pages with me. Into the Gospel of Luke. Into the Gospel of Luke. It's a beautiful area of Scripture. Very similar. But Luke just tells it a little differently. Into the 11th chapter, if you please. The 11th chapter. Now listen to Jesus telling about the evil that comes in from without. This is a fascinating thing. You see, Jesus taught us so much, and we don't jolly well listen. We do not read, and so we do not understand, so we falter. So we stumble around like a lot of blind people leading blind people. But Jesus said there is evil out there. Now, if you go back into that, the 17th chapter, the 15th verse of John's gospel, he said, Father, I'm not praying that you'll take them out of this evil. I'm praying that you'll keep them safe while they're in it. The word in the Amplified New Testament is that you'll keep them and protect them and protect them. Oh, how precious. Hmm? How precious. My son wants to walk out in front of a bus. I grab him. I protect him. My daughter wants to lean too far over a parapet. I grab her. I hold her. Don't do that. I protect. You come. You want to destroy my family. I'll stand between you and my family. I'll fight you. I'm to protect my family. I'm the head of the household. I don't want to die, but I'll protect them. Though it cost my little life, I'll protect them, won't you? 
Isn't that the passion from deep within? Isn't that the teaching? Well, now, the teaching of Jesus, the Lord Jesus says, Oh, my Father, I'm asking, I'm praying, that though the evil is all around, threatening to seduce sex, threatening to do terrifying things, protect them. And he started off the protection with the shedding of his own blood by the re- giving us the remission of sins. Well, I must carry on. I must show you this thing. You see, there are five things here that we must learn to avoid. Oh, says Jesus. And look with me at, in Luke 11 and verse uh, 42. There are some woes. Listen to Jesus. He says, woe unto you Pharisees. Oh, and we all sit back in our, in our little pew, pews and we say, oh, well, that doesn't mean me. You better read about Pharisees if you don't think it means us. Because Jesus goes on in this verse 42 and he says, these are the people who do all the right things, but there is no contrition within their hearts. There is no longing for the living God within their souls. There is no repentance, no regeneration within their being. But they dot the I, they cross the T. These people, says Jesus, woe upon them. Verse 43 says, Something else about them. These people not, ha- not only re- reveal no contrition, no true repentance and regeneration, but they also long for recognition. They must be recognized. They must wear their funny clothes. They must wear their kingly crowns. They must do their funny things. They must go through their silly rites and their rituals. And people must say, oh, they're good people. Hey, if you belong to some organization that has to be showy, even if it's behind closed doors, you be careful because it can't possibly line up with the Lord Jesus Christ. If you belong to some club that is very generous to the people that are, are without, to people that are, are disadvantaged, if you belong to such an organization, my dear friend, you must understand this. If you also think you're a Christian, it is your church first that would help those people and did. Those people have learned to help the disadvantaged because of the Lord Jesus, but they have taken the ethic away from the power and they feel that by their own generosity of dipping into their pockets, by their own generosity of giving to those in need, by their own generosity, somehow they are something and have earned something with God. No man cometh unto the Father, said Jesus, except through me. Be careful. The Pharisaic evil is all around us and it would infiltrate our own congregation. Don't you give another dime to this church. If you think you're buying something, if you think that by your generosity, God is going to bless you, forget it. You be generous because you so love the Lord Jesus, you want to see his work progress. You want to see his work develop. You so love the Lord Jesus, you want to share his work with other people. Give hilariously. Give out of sheer joy. Give because the generosity was put in your soul by God. Not because you grudgingly write out a check or count out the dollars. Don't give. If you're going to be a stingy giver, keep it. You'll have all the fun you're ever going to get from it. You enjoy it now. You won't have it later on. Hey, there's something else. 
the second woe that Jesus talked about. He talked about we need to be encouraged to avoid religious legalism. Avoid, first of all, the religious evil, the Pharisaic attitude. Now look out for the religious legalism. Verse 44 tells us about it. Jesus changes his note. Having talked to the Pharisees, he turns to the scribes. He says, woe to you, scribes. You're the recorders of the things that the Pharisees talk about. You're the recorders of these things. You keep everything down. You jot it down. You make it all very obvious and evident. You're very clever little people. They're sort of a band of super secretaries. Which is sort of amusing. <laughs> but because they were so, so super, and because they had so much in their minds, they had a tremendous pretense at acting out the truth of God, but it was only a pretense. Look at verse 44. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Oh, that's a nasty word. I've unmasked you, says Jesus. I'm going to unmask you. You're going to lose your mask. And the mask is going to be ripped off. You're going to be revealed for who you are. And then he goes on and reveals them. For you are like graves, which appear not to be graves. And men walk over them and are not aware that they're walking on graves. Not aware that they're walking on graves. That's what you're like. They act out truth in God and they pretend. Here is another thing. The third thing that Jesus points out is we're informed to avoid religious ethics without the power to live them. Oh boy, one could preach a whole sermon on this one issue. Let's just look at verse 46. Woe unto you, who? Lawyers. Oh. Now we don't have too many Pharisees. We have to sort of scout around to, this, to identify Pharisees in our midst, don't we? We have to really put our thinking cap on to work out who the scribes are. We have no problem with lawyers. I hear, a, I hear a brother in Christ say, well, you know, so-and-so owed me some money. The only way I could get it was to take him to court. So-and-so sits on the other side of the church somewhere. What a shame. They forget, you see, they've not read the scriptures. At least they're not going to be bothered. Money is so important, the cares of this life are so important that they'll risk being throttled and strangled just for their money. But the Bible says, don't take your brother to court. Don't. This is why divorcees get themselves into such a tizwas. And if you've gone through a divorce, I'm not accusing you of anything. I'm simply laying out one of the reasons you have an emotional upset is you know you broke the scripture. You took someone to court. And you've got a problem. Because you've been disobedient and needs confession. Because you've been disobedient and the confession has been made, you've got forgiveness. It's there. But you need to go through it. And know that your heart is hardened. Well, what about these lawyers? We must look at this, otherwise I'll get to preaching. But these are the characters. They sort of process through the process of law. They manage to confuse people. Jesus talks about it in this verse 46. And the people get so confused because their object is not to expand the understanding, but to entrap with burdens. They are, the, the work of the lawyer is not to increase knowledge, but to remove the logic of God. Not of man, of God. They use the logic of man to repudiate the logic of God. They say, for instance, there is no need for capital punishment. But God says there is need. Well, God doesn't understand. You see, we're the modern man. We understand. We're the lawyers. We understand. 
And so they superimpose their attitudes. Never mind what God said, it's what we say. And so one way or another, the lawyer builds himself up into something. Now there is a time, I'm quite sure, when we all need lawyers. It's unfortunate, but that's the system we live under. But we must understand that these people who are lawyers appeal to the person's right so that they can avoid God's claims. Appealing to the rights of a man makes a man important. Recognizing the claims of God upon his heart means he's got to cry out, I'm a sinner. It means he says, I cannot save myself. I am not a free man. I was not free born. I am a man who is a sinner and I need God. But we teach the very reverse. You don't need God, says the world. And the evil that comes in through the Pharisaic, through the scribe and through the lawyer is fantastically evil. Understand it. You're going to use a lawyer one of these days for something or another because our system demands it. Just as we give our money to church organizations by check because the system demands it. But we ignore what God says. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. That is, don't let the deacon board know what you're up to. But you make sure your generosity is in front of God. Never mind all this other business. Make sure it's in front of God. Now I know you can, you can adjust your rationale around that. I'm quite aware of that. And I'm quite aware of the system in which we live. But ladies and gentlemen, be very careful that the system doesn't catch you because it's designed to introduce evil. Nothing else. It was put together by the master of evil. And it was made to in infiltrate the very environs of the church. Hey, let's go on and see some more because it gets rather fascinating, at least I think so. I hope you're still awake and with me. You see, we are also told in verse 53 here that it is outstanding to comprehend for the scribes and the Pharisees. Verse 53, there we are. He said these things to them. The scribes and the Pharisees began to urge him vehemently, but the word him isn't really in the original language or in the original text. And so to urge vehemently, I doubt if they were really urging Jesus as much as they were arguing. You listen to our arguments. And then they went on and to provoke Jesus to speak of many things. If he could only get him to speak about 200 things, if he could only, well, one of them would surely fall short and the lawyer would be there to snap up the opportunity. Let's look at this. The scribes, that's those religious people with no repentance in the heart. Remember those? That's those people with no regeneration having taken place in their souls. Remember those people? They are mad as hornets with Jesus and they're going to let him know. And so they try to entrap him in all sorts of arguments and discussion. The scribes also, they are so furious because their jobs are even threatened. And so now they get all worked up against the Lord Jesus because the Lord Jesus has said the pure, the right, the accurate thing. And he has laid it out in front of the congregation of the people to understand that these people are representatives of evil that control the congregation. And the scribes don't like it. They are also in this great discussion to dis defame Jesus. Where's the lawyer? You read those verses. The lawyers aren't doing a thing. Know why? 
They'll make their money in court. They don't have to. They're listening. And they'll make their money in court when the fury of the legalist, when the fury of the, and the passion of the man whose heart is at enmity with God, when all this is boiled up and the poor little Christian fellow is standing there saying, I don't know what I did. I don't know what I did. The lawyer will make his money then. He doesn't have to worry. And the thing that with the lawyer is the cares of the life have choked him. Now, if you're a lawyer or a student of law, I'm not getting at you. Just be a Christian lawyer and do things according to the word of God instead of the word of whatever state you live in. You might find a conflict and you may be out of a job, but do it. You'd be amazed what can take place. Put God first in every consideration and you may be surprised how, first of all, you'll become an honest and wondrous person to whom many people may come and receive wise counsel that is coming from the fountain of life instead of the counsel that comes from the evil in the world. I'm not condemning lawyers. I'm simply pointing out that behind law is this serious problem of evil. Now, having said all that and seen it just in these few moments, we need to just turn back to the 11th chapter of Matthew. Would you do that with me and we'll close. You see, we are given a new enlightenment. The Lord Jesus in the 11th chapter of Matthew is teaching a tremendous thing on the same subject of evil. And as he draws it to some sort of conclusion, our Lord Jesus says, I want you to come to me. And if you'll come to me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for my yoke is not difficult. You just be meek and lonely, lowly and learn of me and you'll discover some great things. Let me just share it with you very quickly. The Lord Jesus said, and here we can break down some of the original language so that we can comprehend it. All you that labor, what does it mean to labor? You ladies think of bearing children. Men think of working in the fields. What does it mean to labor? Well, what are you, the real word is this. He says, we, all you have got clutching fears. All of you who have got a gnawing anxiety inside you, a gut feeling, a fear of the evil that's all around. I feel swamped and surrounded. How shall I gain some sort of liberation? Why, there is no hope, says somebody that has this gnawing gut fear and anxiety. People that are in rayless despair, they discover all of a sudden, oh my, what's the point of living? They take a gun, bang, their brains are gone. Scattered over the wall. Hey, Jesus said, if you're like that, if you're reaching that suicidal point because the world is quickly gyrating itself into some sort of horrific con confusion and a holocaust is obviously going to come, if the, if the economy is so ridiculous and the missiles are so destructive, if everything is wampus and you can't work it out, oh, says Jesus, come to me. Come to me. You've had enough of the legalism of the Pharisee. You've had enough of the wretchedness of these pretenders. You've had enough with the hypocrisy of Christianity. So have I. Hey, says Jesus, then you come to me. You've had enough 
of the lawyers and all the evil that is introduced through law and all the evil that is crowding around us. You've had enough and you cry out, oh God! Jesus has an answer for you. He says, when those gnawing, clutching, terrifying fears, those gut-level fears, when they tear at you, come to me, all ye that labor, all of you with this terrifying thing, you come to me, says Jesus. And then he says, if you come to me, take my yoke upon you. Learn of me. I am meek. What does it mean? Well, simply one who finds refuge in the Lord commits his way entirely to the Lord, leaving everything in the hand of the Lord who cares and who loves him. Ladies and gentlemen, are you trusting in Jesus? This present evil world is evil, confused, and condemned. If you set your hope in this world, you're condemned with it. There's so much more I'd like to share. But the evil that is from without is conquered by Jesus. And the Lord Jesus has conquered it so well. You don't have to have these gnawing fears and anxieties. Because you can trust him. Sure. You get mixed up with the law, you'll be like a lamb with wolves. Sure. You get caught up with the legalists and the argumentatives, and you'll be like a lamb with wolves. They'll tell you apart. You're not good. In that environment, the only place you can stand and be counted as someone is in the congregation of the righteous. So don't be disappointed when men speak all manner of evil against you. They hated Christ. They'll hate you. Ladies and gentlemen, learn to pray. Oh God, deliver me, us, from evil. How will you succeed? Jesus said, you come to me. You'll succeed. I am meek. I am lowly. My yoke isn't hard. Just come to me. And Paul says, then the peace of God that passes all understanding will be your experience today and always. Amen.